Welcome to the Boone's Creek Baptist Church podcast. We are a church that exists to spread God's glory from our neighbors to the nations. This is Pastor Tim Wade, and we pray that you will be blessed as we consider God's living, active, and all-sufficient Word together. But I'd invite you this morning to turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. As we continue along in the Beatitudes, if you are not familiar with the name Richard Wormbrand, I would encourage you to look him up and and investigate his story a little bit. His story is one of perseverance under extreme persecution. Wormbrand was a Romanian pastor who was imprisoned for a total of 14 years for preaching Christ in communist Romania. Three of those 14 years he spent in solitary confinement. He was placed in a cell 12 foot underground with no windows, no lights. The purpose of that was to try to break him down mentally and spiritually and emotionally so that he could be susceptible to the brainwashing techniques that they would attempt to use. And even the guards that tended to him while he was in solitary confinement would would put felt on the bottom of their shoes so even in walking by his cell, he couldn't even hear them. He couldn't hear any sounds. He said the only way that he kept his sanity was to compose and then preach in his mind a sermon every single night for three years. When he was finally released, he recorded not only his own tortures, but those of his fellow prisoners in the book Tortured for Christ, which has been widely distributed. And again, I would encourage you to check that out if you have never heard of Richard Wormbrand before. But he wrote in this book about a, a fellow pastor named Florescu. Wormbrand writes that he was tortured with red-hot iron pokers and with knives. He was beaten very badly. Then starving rats were driven into his cell through a large pipe. He could not sleep because he had to defend himself all the time. If he rested for a moment, the rats would attack him. Wormbrand continues, he was forced to stand for two weeks, day and night. The communists wished to compel him to betray his brethren, but he resisted steadfastly. Eventually they brought his 14-year-old son to the prison and began to whip the boy in front of his father, saying that they would continue to beat him until the pastor said what they wished him to say. The poor man was half mad. He bore it as long as he could. Then he cried to his son, Alexander, I must say what they want. I can't bear your beating anymore. The son answered his father and young people. Listen to the words of this 14-year-old boy. He says, Father, don't do me the injustice of having a traitor as a parent. Withstand. If they kill me, I will die with the words, Jesus and my fatherland. The communists, enraged at the young man, fell upon the child and beat him to death. He died praising God. Wormbrand wrote about being placed nearly naked in icebox cells where doctors would watch through a window until the prisoners, suspended from the ceiling, were near the point of death. And where they were so close to death that they had to pull them out of the cell. The guards would warm them up 
give them hot liquid and, and restore them and then put them right back in the cell until they were once more near death. And there's even more in this book, but the worst stories, Wormbrand says, he can't even bear, his heart couldn't bear to write them down. So he withholds the worst realities that he experienced in that prison. The sad reality is this kind of persecution of Christians for their faith in Christ has gone on unhindered for 2,000 years. And it will continue to do so until the day that Jesus returns. In fact, statistics seem to indicate that it's actually more dangerous right now to be a Christian than at any other time in the past. Every single day around the world, 16 of our brothers and sisters in Christ are killed for their faith in Jesus. That equates to about 6,000 people a year. Last year alone, along with these 6,000 murders, there were over 5,000 churches that were attacked. And there are 5,000 more Christians that were detained without without trial. And those numbers represent a 24% increase from just the previous year. And things will only continue to get worse for our brothers and sisters. In North Korea alone, it's estimated that there are between 50 and 70,000 people that are detained in labor camps simply for being believers in Jesus Christ. So then knowing these realities, what we're getting ready to read in Matthew chapter 5 is shocking. In fact, it may be one of the most shocking things that Jesus says during His entire ministry. And so if you are able, I would ask that you stand with me this morning in honor of the reading of the Word of God. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. There Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the Word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's once more turn to the Lord in prayer this morning. Oh God, we are humbled as we come together this morning and as we hear these stories of our brothers and sisters, those to whom we are united by a bond stronger than the blood of men. Our hearts are joined to them by the Holy Spirit, by the very blood of Jesus Christ, and yet they remain imprisoned, tortured, murdered for their faith. Lord, we are thankful that because of the laws in our system of government, we do not have to fear such overt persecution. Yet we know, Lord, that that is not the norm throughout the history of your people. And so, Lord, we humbly ask that you would equip us knowing that the days will continue to grow darker and darker until Christ returns. I pray that you would equip us to face such persecution should they come our way. Lord, give us the ability to persevere as Wormbrand did. Give us the faithfulness to stand for the truth of God's word, even when it's difficult. And Lord, help us to understand today how it is possible that we could be considered blessed for experiencing such persecution. 
Lord, even as we sit here in our pews, we know that it is the reality for thousands, if not millions of believers around the world right now that that they aren't able to sit in comfortable pews. Some right now are being beaten this very moment in camps in North Korea. Some are lying on cold prison floors. Some have been disowned by their families. Lord, these are our brothers and sisters. And this is the reality for them even now. And so as we hear what it is that Jesus would say to those who endure persecution for righteousness sake, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be broken for those whom you love. Help us to understand their plight and help us to be prepared should we face the same type of persecution. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I said that this statement from Jesus here in the Beatitudes is shocking. Because throughout the Beatitudes, we have maintained, as we've looked at each one of these, that Jesus is laying out the path to happiness. Now that path has taken some strange turns along the way, to be sure. We've, we've talked about being poor in spirit and mourning and how those things lead us to happiness. But none are as strange as what we just read. We've said from the beginning that when Jesus says blessed are, that he's talking about happiness, that that blessedness equates to happiness. They're synonymous. And if we want to experience and know true happiness, we must follow the path that Jesus lays out for us. And up until this point, that's made sense. Even in some of the the more difficult ones, we can see how what Jesus tells us to pursue, even when it's mourning over our sin, or being poor in spirit, or hungering and thirsting for righteousness, we can see how those things might lead to happiness. But here, Jesus says, blessed are the persecuted. Now, I want to be honest with you, this is difficult. It's difficult because... How is it that we can take an honest look at what's described by Wormbrand, what happened to Florescu, what happened to this faithful pastor who is leading his people? How can we look at what happened to them or any of the millions of Christians experiencing persecution today and say that they are happier for their persecution? Yet that seems to be exactly what Jesus is saying here. So let's try to make sense of this. Next week, we'll we'll take a deeper dive in verses 11 and 12. Jesus himself elaborates on this and what this means because he understands, I think, the difficulty that some people are going to have grasping this. But for now, let's attempt to answer three questions about this beatitude, just as we have with each of the other beatitudes. Let's ask three questions and try to understand this. First, what is persecution? What is persecution? We need to understand right off the bat, there are some things that persecution is not. Not all suffering is persecution. Now, there are a number of people who have suffered a great deal, even within this congregation. I know that there are those of you setting out in the congregation right now who have suffered greatly. There are parents here who have lost children. There are children that are still grieving the loss of their parents. 
There are some of you that are watching family members and loved ones enduring cancer treatments. There are some that have experienced accidents and even violence. There are some that have experienced broken relationships and and broken homes. And all of that is suffering, to be sure. But not all suffering is persecution. Yes, God sees your suffering. And yes, He cares. The Bible tells us that the hairs on your head are numbered. And God sees when a sparrow falls to the ground. So how much more does He see us and love us in our distress? He is a kind and loving God who takes no delight in the suffering of His children. And is even now preparing a place for you so that He can one day redeem His creation. His creation that's been ruined by sin. So that one day there will no longer be any suffering. One day the Bible says He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And in that day, it will not matter if it's a car wreck or cancer that's caused your crying. It will not matter if violence or hunger has broken our hearts. He will redeem it all. God sees your suffering and He loathes it. And He hates the fallen condition of His good creation that has caused so much of our suffering. But here... Jesus is talking specifically about those who endure persecution. He says, for righteousness sake. So not all suffering, not all the suffering that we experience because of accident or because of illness. That doesn't count as persecution for righteousness sake. The persecution that Jesus has in mind must come from those that are hostile to Christianity. This kind of persecution is an intentional effort to attack us because of our Christian faith. Specifically because we are following Jesus. So it's not just any persecution. It's persecution because you are following Christ and because you are living like Christ. The the persecution that comes as a result of your righteousness or Jesus' righteousness that's been bestowed on you That is the persecution that results in us being blessed or happy. Not some other form of persecution. Again, you may face persecution for a number of reasons. Some some of you may face persecution or, or may be opposed by other people simply because you're an unpleasant person. You're hard to be around and so people may come against you for that. You may experience persecution or you may think you experience persecution because you do foolish things. Or because you're constantly putting your nose in other people's business. People are going to come against you when you do that, to be sure. But but the kind of persecution that Jesus is talking about is persecution, as He says, for righteousness' sake. And so we need to understand the difference. We can't just say every time we suffer or every time someone disagrees with us, I'm being persecuted. Right? I'll even say Jesus is not necessarily talking about political persecution here. That's clear. If you look around in our society, the political vitriol is reaching new heights every day. A few years ago, a prominent politician running for president called members of another political party deplorables. On any given night, depending on what news channel you watch, 
They're going to disparage and talk down to members of one political party or the other. People will mock you. They will belittle you. They will accuse you and sometimes perhaps even threaten you because of your political convictions. And while that may technically be persecution, that is not the kind of persecution that Jesus is talking about here. We we shouldn't try to baptize our politics into making it seem as though just because we vote a certain way, we're experiencing what Jesus is talking about. Persecution for righteousness' sake is persecution that occurs as a direct result of following Jesus. And Jesus Himself says that we should expect such persecution. So the type of persecution that Jesus is talking about, it is promised. It is for righteousness' sake and it is promised. In John fifteen twenty, Jesus tells His disciples, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So Jesus says, expect it. It's coming, my disciples. If you're following me, you can expect to be persecuted. Paul reiterates the same thing to Timothy. He tells him in 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, Indeed, all, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Notice, once again, Paul connects this to desiring to live a godly life. So when you live for Christ, when you live a godly life, you will inevitably attract persecution. Now this promise is scary for us on two levels. It is scary because we should be expecting persecution. Even though nobody is eager to experience it, or at least I hope you're not, it will be foolish right, to say, oh yes, sign me up for some, some good old-fashioned persecution. What happened to Wormbrand being hung up in that, that refrigerator cell? That sounds great. Let, let's do that. Yet no one is exempted. Paul says all in his letter to Timothy. So, so, so let me ask you, how many of you in this room want to live a godly life? Right? We're in a Baptist church. It's okay to raise your hands, I promise. How many of you all want to live a godly life? Right, you should, you should. And you go like, no, I don't want to live no godly life. That's no fun, right? I hope that all of you want to live a godly life. But how many of you want to experience persecution? Nobody. None of us do. I don't want to experience persecution. I don't want to to witness my children beaten in front of me. Does the police try to get me to betray those that I'm charged with shepherding? I don't want to be hung up in a refrigerator cell and beaten. It's no fun. But Paul says, if you desire the first thing, if you desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will experience persecution. All who desire that will inevitably come to persecution. It's just like having a new car. You know, all of us in here might want a new car, but we don't want the monthly payments that go with it. Yet yet that's inevitable. That's the inevitable result of having a new car, right? If you have a new car, to have a new car is to have monthly payments. Or to have a house is to have a mortgage. We want one and not the other, but you can't get away from it. You can't separate the two. 
So Paul says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you're going to face persecution. So that's scary. That's scary. Because hopefully we all want to live a godly life, or at least you were shamed into it by raising your hand because everybody else in here was. On the other hand, I said this is scary in two ways. On the other hand, this makes it also scary when we don't experience persecution. Because what does that mean? If Paul says all, all who desire to live a godly life will experience persecution and we don't experience persecution, what does that mean? If our lives are easy and carefree and we never experience any opposition for our faith, what can we infer? It may be that we don't desire to live a godly life as much as we thought. Maybe we aren't following Jesus as closely as we thought. So what's scarier? To experience persecution for your faith or to experience no persecution for your faith? According to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, you are blessed if you do experience persecution. You are blessed because that means you are following Jesus. The world recognizes you as a disciple of Jesus. And it hates you for it. So in my mind, it is scarier for us when we never experience persecution because persecution is an affirmation to us that we are actually following Jesus. Now next week, we're going to talk more about what persecution may actually look like for us. Thankfully, because of the laws in the land in which we live, because of the the government that's been established here, uh, most of us don't have to worry about being suspended in meat coolers. We don't have to to worry about being taken to prison and being beaten by the police for our faith. That's not the reality that we are going to experience by and large. But what does it look like? What does it look like? We'll talk more about the specifics of that for us next week. But when we do experience persecution, how do we endure it? How do we endure it when we face it? We endure it by remembering two things. First, we remember who it is with. We remember who it is with. Romans 8 verses 16 through 17 tells us, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Now, I think most of us would be okay if Paul would have stopped right there. Right? Children of God, heirs with Christ. That sounds wonderful. But Paul keeps on going. Shame on him. He says, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So when we suffer persecution, we're not just suffering because we're following Christ, we are suffering alongside Christ. We are suffering with Christ or Christ is suffering with us. That's what Paul says, it is an active present thing that that when we suffer, we are suffering with Christ. When we endure persecution for his name's sake, we are identifying With our Savior, even as He Himself said, they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. So we need to to take this to heart. We are never alone. 
Wormbrand, even in solitary confinement, 12 feet under the dirt, in a cell with no light, where he could hear no other living person even walking by his cell. He wasn't alone. He wasn't completely solitary. He was with his Savior in that cell. Because not only had his Savior endured the path of persecution before him, not only was he following in the footsteps of Jesus by enduring that persecution, but Jesus was with him, even there. In Acts chapter 5, Peter and John, two of Jesus' disciples, they were arrested and they were beaten by the council for preaching Christ. And what was their response? In Acts chapter 5, verse 41, we're told, Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They were able to rejoice, not because the beatings felt good. right? They, they weren't rejoicing because they had bruises all over their body. They were rejoicing because through their beatings, they were following Jesus. They were suffering with their Savior. So we suffer with Him. So we have to remember who persecution is with. But we also have to remember what persecution is for. Or what the results of persecution are. Persecution results in glory and joy. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6-7, through the exact same Peter that we just saw left his being beaten rejoicing. This is the exact same Peter who, by the way, will ultimately go to his death. Church history tells us that, that he was crucified. And when the Romans took him to crucify him, he requested that they crucify him upside down. Because he said he was not worthy to suffer the same fate of his Savior. But before all that, Peter writes this to the church. He says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter says that when your faith is tested by persecution and by trials, rejoice because that is more precious than gold. You're acquiring something that can never be taken away from you. You're acquiring something that is more precious than the wealth of the earth when your faith is tested by trials. He says, and it may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. Nobody looks forward to persecution. Nobody wants to sign up to endure suffering like this. But when Christ returns, those that have suffered in this way, those that have experienced persecution, when Christ returns, there will be glory and and honor for those that have suffered for the name of Jesus. They will be blessed and honored by the Lord Himself. There couldn't possibly be any greater reward. And that is why, that is why Florescu and his son endured what they endured. There were no earthly blessings for them in those, those cold communist jail cells. Wormbrand suffered for the rest of his life as a result of his torture. 
It's true for him that, that he could barely stand to wear shoes and anywhere he went he would often take his shoes off before speaking because the, the communist had beaten the soles of his feet until all the flesh came off. But when Jesus returns, people like Wormbrand, people like Florescu, people like his 14-year-old son will receive unfathomable glory and honor that is greater than all the gold that the world possesses. And that is how we can answer this last question. What is the reward for persecution? What is the reward for persecution? Well, ultimately it's glory, it's honor, it's joy. It is an imperishable reward greater than gold refined by fire. But not only that, what does Jesus say in in verse 10? He says, theirs, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven belongs to them. It is theirs. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, we read earlier that we are heirs with him. We are joint heirs with Christ if, if we suffer with him. All of Christ's realm is ours to inherit. And the sufferers will inherit the foremost. Now, listen, I, I, know, I know even now, this is not a great evangelistic message, right? Come to Jesus and, and be persecuted. Have the flesh beaten from your body. Enjoy those cold jail cells. They'll bring you to the point of death. Come on, be a Christian. It's great. But notice, this is exactly what Jesus tells His followers. He says, Blessed are those that are persecuted for righteousness' sake. This is the final of the Beatitudes. This is the, the climax of this part of the sermon. He says, Oh, you think the rest of this is going to lead to happiness? Let me tell you about this one. This is the one that at the top of the list... At the end of all the Beatitudes, if you do all the rest of them, if you pursue the path of happiness this far, keep going. Keep going. Because all the rest, when you pursue all the others, when you are poor in spirit, when you mourn your sin, when you are meek, when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, when you are merciful to others, when you are pure in heart, when you're a peacemaker, you're going to get this last one too. This last one is the final step on this path. But the good news is, the good news is Jesus promises us that follow this path, He promises us the kingdom of heaven. It's all ours for all of eternity. And here's where joy is found. Here's where happiness, where blessedness is found. Blessedness is not found in freedom from suffering, but in the rewards for suffering that Christ gives us in the life to come. There is a joy that comes from joining with Christ in His sufferings. And while we don't go about looking for suffering, we shouldn't despise it when it comes. When you are persecuted for your faith, when someone opposes you because you are following Jesus, and they resist you, or they fail to promote you, or they lie against you. 
Or they leave you dirty notes or, or they say mean things to you or whatever it is that they do when they cut you out of their life. That's hurtful. But you can rejoice that in a small measure you have been counted worthy to suffer with your Savior. Wormbrand tells another story in his book about a young girl in his church who was found to be teaching children about Jesus. You might say she's a simple Sunday school teacher. Nobody great. We don't even know her name. But when the police found out about it, they planned to arrest her. But they didn't just want to arrest her. They wanted to humiliate her. And so they planned her arrest for the day that she was to be married. And on her wedding day, what should have been the most joyful day of her life, the secret police burst through the doors, they grabbed her and they roughly shackled her wrists. And so here this girl was dressed in her wedding gown. She looked toward her husband to be and she kissed her chains that were on her wrists. And she said, I thank my heavenly bridegroom for this jewel that he has presented to me on my marriage day. I thank him that I am worthy to suffer for him. I dare say that whatever you have done for Christ in your life, that it's likely not one of us in this room can anticipate a greater reward, more glory or more honor when Christ returns than that young girl. The joy she will experience at His coming, at His bestowing of honor and glory on her, will be multiplied a million times greater than any joy that she was robbed of on her wedding day. Jesus promises her, and He promises us, blessedness, happiness, when we are persecuted for righteousness' sake. He promises us nothing short of His entire kingdom. Saying that we are heirs with Him if we suffer with Him. This is a hard truth. This is difficult. It's shocking. Because we like comfort. If it's just a few degrees too hot in the house, we like to turn the air conditioner up. We, we, We like comfort. We like to avoid hardship. And Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, This path is going to include hardship. Now we have been by and large spared from that. We have lived quite comfortably. Again, because of the protections that the law affords us. Even while for our brothers and sisters around the world, that's not been the case. And so as believers, we need to begin to steal ourselves. We need to resolve even now that when persecution comes our way, we will follow Christ no matter what. We will follow Christ even if it means following Him into prison. Even if it means following Him to beatings. Even if it means following Him to isolation. We're following Christ no matter what. Because when He comes back, those that have will experience joy unlike any, anything we can fathom. Let us live then in such a way that shows the world around us that, that we desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. That we are going to pursue righteousness and godliness no matter what. Because when we begin to live that way, 
Persecution cannot help but find us. And when it finds us, let us rejoice that Christ has counted us worthy to suffer for Him and with Him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word today. I'll admit, Lord, this is a heavy word, a challenging word. And yet, Lord, it is delivered from the very lips of our Savior. And so we cannot deny it. We ask, Lord, only that You would help us endure it, prepare us for whatever persecution may come. Lord, I pray that as we have affirmed today that we desire to live a godly life, help us indeed to live a godly life. To live in such a way that our righteousness shines before others. And then, Lord, even as we live that way, help us to be prepared for the persecution that inevitably comes. Lord, I know that this is not a sermon that would entice people to follow Jesus because it promises them wonderful things. It's not a sermon that tells them that life is free and easy by following Jesus. But I pray nonetheless, Lord, that you would, in the power of your Holy Spirit, move in people's hearts. And if by the preaching of your word you are drawing someone to yourself today, I pray that they would come and repent of their sins and trust in Christ and embrace a life. Live for the sake of Christ, come what may. Lord, work through your word. And as we conclude today, multiply your word through the continued ministry of the Gideons who are going into tough places to make sure that your word, including this part of the Sermon on the Mount, is going to all the nations so that all who may find it may hear it and receive it and rejoice in it. May we today hear it, receive it, and rejoice in it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about today's sermon or would like more information about Boone's Creek Baptist Church, you can send us an email at boonscreekchurch at gmail.com or you can give us a call at 859-263-5466. You can also find us online at www.boonscreekchurch.com. Thank you and have a blessed day.